of the gospel, there are tremendous joys which accompany the work to which we've been called, be it baptizing new believers, officiating weddings, or simply walking alongside people as they experience the joy and love which comes from knowing and serving Christ. On most days, I wish you could experience the joy which comes from living the life that we live. But on some days, I'd never wish this life on you at all. Because for all the joy and happiness that we get to experience in the lives of others, we also get to experience the overwhelming pain, suffering, and loss that many people silently endure and rarely share with others. We get to see people in their most vulnerable moments. Moments where the comfort, safety, and joy of life are all shipped away and they're left wondering where God is in the midst of their suffering. The pain we see in their lives at these moments is a raw pain. A pain that's made no better but plenty worse when their friends and family speak unhelpful and hurtful things into their lives. Things like, well, everything happens for a reason. God won't give you more than you can handle. And what'd you do to deserve this? No matter who you are, we've all lived through hard times. And some of you are living through them right now. And for all the good that others are doing to support you during this difficult time, there are just as many who are doing more harm than good because of their misguided words and actions. Such a recipe for disaster could easily convince you that God's given up on you. And once you've convinced yourself that God's given up on you, it's more than easy for you to give up on God, others, and even yourself. But no matter the particular challenges that you're facing, you're not the first, nor will you be the last one to have these sorts of feelings and thoughts. Because in spite of how faithfully we follow God in the good times, hard times have the ability to dim God's light in our lives. But even so, disciples don't let their lights go completely out. In spite of their circumstances, they hold on to the powerful hope that God hasn't given up on them. And for that reason, they refuse to give up on God. And even when everything else seems hopeless for them, that singular hope in God has the ability to change our outlook, our lives, and our ability to keep shining his light in a world of darkness. Today we're going to continue in our sermon series, Discipleship 101. And as we do, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to practice our faith in hard times. And in order to do so, there's perhaps no better example to turn to than Job, a man who epitomizes what it looks like to suffer and struggle with faith in the midst of hard times. And in particular, we'll be examining his plight as seen in the scripture we read earlier out of Job chapter 19. Now, to try and get concrete answers from the book of Job is a difficult task. For by reading this story in the first place, one must forego simplistic answers and instead trudge through difficult and challenging issues of great importance. Issues like the motivation for holy living, the meaning of suffering, the nature of God, and the place of justice in our world. Now, in case you're not familiar with the book of Job or it's been a while since you've spent time with this miserable book of the Bible because... That's what Job is. It's misery from 
start to finish almost. Here's my best efforts to offer up some cliff notes as to what's going on here in the book of Job. Well, Job is a wealthy man who's got a big farm with lots of family and livestock. The Bible calls him a blameless and upright man. Someone who's always striving to live his life in a righteous manner. Well, God brags to Satan about Job's virtue. But Satan contends that, Job's, that Job is only righteous because God has favored him generously. So Satan dares God that if given permission to inflict suffering, Job will change and curse God. So God permits Satan to abuse Job, but he forbids him from taking Job's life in the process. So over the course of one day, Job learns that his sheep, his servants, and his ten children have all died due to thieving intruders or natural disasters. In response, Job rips his clothes and shaves his head in sorrow, yet he still praises God in his prayers. Next up, Job is afflicted with terrible skin sores, and things get so bad that his wife urges him to denounce God, give up, and die. But Job refuses, choosing instead to endure his pain without abandoning his faith. As usually happens when relatives die, three of Job's friends then show up to comfort their grieving friend. And after sitting with him in silence for seven days out of reverence for his grief, Job speaks, which then invites all the other friends who have joined him to begin offering their own reflections on his recent troubles, suffering, and pain. One of Job's friends says that Job, who has comforted other people before when they've been suffering, must have never really known their pain, but now he does. Another concludes that Job's pain must be due to some kind of sin that he's committed and that he needs to repent. Finally, and even worse, his third friend suggests that whatever wrongdoing Job has done, he likely deserves more pain and suffering than he's already experienced. That all leads us to Job chapter 19, where this man of constant sorrow responds to his friends by reflecting on his suffering. And here's how the message paraphrases his words from verses 13 to 22. God alienated my family from me. Everyone who knows me avoids me. My relatives and friends have all left. House guests forget I ever existed. The servant girls treat me like a bum off the street, look at me like they've never seen me before. I call my attendant and he ignores me, ignores me even though I plead with him. My wife can't stand to be around me anymore. I'm repulsive to my family. Even street urchins despise me. When I come out, they taunt and jeer. Everyone I've ever been close to abhors me. My dearest loved ones reject me. I'm nothing but a bag of bones. My life hangs by a thread. Oh, friends, dear friends, take pity on me. God's come down hard on me. Do you have to be hard on, my, hard on me too? Don't you ever tire of abusing me? Now that we know the context for today's passage of Scripture, the next question we have to ask is this. What does this Scripture mean? What does it mean for Job to keep his faith in the midst of hard times? Well, after responding to his own plight and to the hurtful words of his friends, 
Job speaks these words. Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. In the context of what's going on here, what do Job's words mean and how do they bear witness to his faith and his hope? Well, by this point, Job is overcome with the thought that the end of his life is near, but his case still hasn't been heard. This leads him to yearn for a permanent record of his testimony, a testimony of faithfulness, righteousness, and integrity in spite of his adversities. And by asking for scroll, lead, and rock, Job is asking for increasingly permanent means of preserving his testimony. Because while his faith has been rocked to its core, Job's ultimate testimony refuses to be one of abandonment and rejection. In spite of his righteous anger and yearning for an explanation, Job will remain faithful. While his faith has been, and that faithfulness is born out of a powerful hope, not a hope that things are going to eventually get better on their own or a hope that Job will acquire the means of saving himself from all these troubles, but rather Job's hope comes from the knowledge that there is someone out there with the power and the presence to take up his case with God, someone who will redeem his life and usher him into the presence of God, which will ultimately satisfy his greatest desire, to talk directly with God himself. By the end of the story, that's exactly what happens, and God finally speaks with Job in the process, demonstrating how little Job, or any of us for that matter, know about godly things, creation, and conversely, how much God alone, how much power, rather, God alone has. And overwhelmed by this encounter with the divine, Job acknowledges God's unlimited power and admits the limitations of his own human knowledge. And this response, it pleases God. And because of Job's humility and faithfulness in the midst of his trials, God returns his health, providing him with twice as much property as before, new children, and an extremely long life. In the end, God doesn't explain Job's sufferings. But he does explain to Job that we live in a complex world, one that's wonderful but also wild and dangerous. And because of the unpredictable nature of this world, God asked Job and us to trust his character and his wisdom, even when everything else seems to be going to hell. With this odd and intriguing story now complete, we have to pose what is perhaps the most difficult question of them all. What does this story mean for us today? What does it mean for you and I to keep the faith in hard times? Well, friends, there are no easy answers for the pain and suffering we endure in this life, nor are there simple solutions for how we can persevere in spite of them. But no matter these realities, disciples do their best to live with hope, not fear, trust, not doubt, and faith, not unbelief.
For you see, in spite of what we may think, God hasn't promised us a rose garden in exchange for believing in him, at least in this life anyway. Because when life seems full of pain, we need to remember what Paul said to Timothy about enduring hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And we should also bear in mind a couple of very broad principles that are fundamental to our biblical worldview. First, we can never forget that you and I and everyone else, we all live in a fallen world. When things go wrong, God isn't the one pulling the strings which cause us to suffer. Nor do our problems necessarily imply that we've done something to anger or displease God. Sometimes, The problems and pain we experience are just another all-too-real reminder that this world isn't how it's supposed to be. Genesis 3 tells the story of humankind's fall from grace. And this fall transformed the original design of God's creation in many ways. It caused us to rebel against God and engage in denial and self-deception. It caused our relationships with others to be marked by doubt hatred, and division. It introduced pain and suffering into our lives. Because of all this, the world we live in today is not the world as God intended it to be. It is, in a very real sense, a defective and abnormal world. But the good news is that our Lord isn't content to leave us in this world of suffering and pain. He's not content to see us struggling with things that we were never meant to handle. And that leads us to the second thing we need to bear in mind. God has a plan to fix the brokenness of our world and to heal the pain in our personal lives. Y'all, he loved us enough to send Jesus Christ, his only son, to reverse the effects of the fall. Christ has come to reconcile us to God, to each other, and to our true human nature. Of course, the Bible never gives any reason for us to suppose that these changes will happen overnight. On the contrary, it states very clearly that while we live in the flesh, we can expect to experience groanings within ourselves as we look forward to the final redemption of our bodies. And that is good news, for ultimately, a day is coming when there will be no more sickness, pain, or death. A day when he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. However, while we wait for this day, there's nothing wrong about being honest about our pain, frustrations, struggles, and anger. No matter how you feel, what you think, or what you say in the midst of hard times, y'all, God isn't going to run away. He may be silent to you, But that doesn't mean that he's not there at work in your life caring for you in ways you couldn't begin to understand. And that's perhaps the greatest lesson we can pull from the book of Job. This lesson that even in the silence, God is there. Even in our sufferings, God is there. Even in our frustrations, pain, and doubt, God is there. Like Job We may not get all of our questions answered, nor will we always find peace through our pain, but at least we can cling to the holy assurance that God hasn't given up on us. And and because of that, we shouldn't give up on God. Now, like most things, that's easier said than done. 
It's easier for us to believe this assurance in the good times. It's another thing entirely to believe it in the bad times. We're not alone in navigating those struggles. After all, Jesus himself experienced those feelings of doubt, abandonment, and pain in the hours leading up to his uh, crucifixion. Right before in his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was in anguish, praying so hard and earnestly that his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And what was Jesus praying on this night? Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. The Bible says that after praying this, an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. Now did you catch that? It didn't say that the angel rescued him or saved him. It said that the angel strengthened him. Friends, sometimes our prayers won't result in our rescue from places of inner and outer torment and pain. But then again, Jesus never intended for us to live comfortable, peaceful lives all the time, did he? For before his betrayal and arrest, Jesus also prayed these words out of the Gospel of John chapter 17. My prayer is that you take them, sorry, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus' powerful prayer teaches us a couple of things. First, in spite of how messed up our world is, we don't have to leave it in order for Jesus to love us. After all, Jesus came into our world to love us where we are and as we are. Second thing is this. In spite of knowing firsthand the pain and suffering we have to endure, Jesus never intended for us to leave this world before our time. Because, friends, disciples don't do, don't do any good in places of peace and comfort. Rather, they're needed in places where people are hungry for healing and hope. That's our mission as disciples. That's the great commission that we've all signed up to by receiving the grace, mercy, love, and salvation of Jesus Christ. After all, what did he say again in Mark 2, 17? It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Friends, since you and I have been sanctified and strengthened for that purpose, we must remain in the world and continue to bear a good, right, and true witness for the people around us in spite of our own struggles and pain, in spite of whatever it is that we're going through as individuals. Because, friends, as hard as it might be to accept, your calling is more important than your circumstances. Your identity is greater than your adversities. And last but not least, your Savior is greater than your struggles. Now, being a disciple doesn't mean that you'll never face challenges and pain throughout your life, but rather, being a disciple means that you'll find a way to keep the faith in spite of whatever it is that you're facing. Not because of who you are or anything you've done, but because of who Jesus is and what he's done and will do for you. 
the God we praise in the good times, is the same God we're prone to curse in the bad times. And no matter what we think, feel, or say, He's not in the business of abandoning us when the going gets tough, and neither should we. So even when life gets oppressive, painful, and hard, don't give up on Jesus, because Jesus never gives up on you. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for your son. Thank you for his love. And thank you for the assurance that he is with us always, even until the end of the age. God, it's hard to suffer and struggle in this life. And you know that better than any of us. For you walk alongside us in our struggles. You feel our pain as if it were your own. Because God, we are your children. You love us. God, help us to navigate those struggles more faithfully. Help us to keep the faith in whatever it is that, in spite of whatever it is that we're facing. And help us to remember, even in those moments of silent suffering, that you are with us and that you are working all things together for our good. And God, as we walk in that knowledge and truth, help us to hold on to the anchor that is your love. Help us to hold on to the anchor that is your presence. Help us, Lord, to be your disciples. Amen.